chapter 24, we do read, Now it happened, when Saul had returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. Father, we do pray tonight that you would just once again settle our hearts that as we come in, perhaps in the middle of the week, a, a long day at work, or perhaps uh, school has been um, very uh, busy and getting kids to school, whatever the situation may be, we're thankful that we can stop and just um, slow down, and we can now just hear from you as we go through your word. And that's what my prayer is, is that as we do this, that you would speak to our hearts, that our hearts would always be teachable, and Lord, that we would receive instructions, and Lord, that we would be encouraged, and that we would be blessed. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So at this time, David is being pursued by Saul as we've been going through this wonderful book of 1 Samuel. And Saul, he is still the king. He is still the one that has the power of being king. And so he has these 3,000 men that he has chosen to help him pursue David. And as we have seen in the previous chapters, that it is Saul that is just so focused on going after David. He is consumed with it. He is out of control. He is one that, because of the bitterness that has just really taken hold of his heart and the anger and the jealousy and the envy that he has, we see that Saul is one that he's making irrational decisions. He has become very violent, as we saw in chapter 22. He would murder the priest because he thought the priest were conspiring with David against him. Saul is one that's focused on himself. He's not uh, fulfilling his responsibility in protecting the nation. The Philistines have been coming in to some of the cities and, and uh, raiding the cities and taking their harvest. But Saul doesn't care. He has one thing that's on his mind, and that is, I'm going to go after David, and I'm going to use all my resources. I'm going to go against anybody that I feel is conspiring against me. And so Saul is consumed with pursuing David. He's been relentlessly doing this. David is now in the wilderness. He's at a place that is called En Gedi. Now, En Gedi is a place that, that we're going to go to here in a few weeks, those of us who are going to go to Israel. And it's in that wilderness area by the Dead Sea. It's very rocky and mountainous, and barren terrain is that area, very deserty. It's very hot in that area. This um, Dead Sea is the lowest point on the face of the earth. And there in the hillsides of Judea, there's a place, it's like an oasis out there, well, it is an oasis, out there in the desert with palm trees and lush vegetation, and it has water, streams coming down, waterfalls, it has wild goats, these gazelle-looking goats that are there, um, other wildlife that is in, in Gedi. It's a very beautiful spot. And also in the hillsides there, that there are many caves. And so David and his men, remember he has 600 men that are with him. They are hiding in one of the caves as Saul has 3,000 men that are coming after David. And we read that verse 3, So he came to the sheepfolds, that is Saul, by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. And then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. 
So David is in this large cave. He's with his men there. Saul is pursuing him. He shows up, and all of a sudden, the cave where David and his men are in the very back of that cave, and they're hiding. It's obviously a very, very large cave that went back into the hillsides. Matter of fact, when you go there today, there's evidence that there was a large cave up in, in the valley there that you walk up where there's waterfalls and there's fresh water and, and lush vegetations. But over the last 3,000 years, there's evidence that there was a large cave in. So David was in that large cave in his men in recesses. And all of a sudden, Saul is in that area. He doesn't know where exactly David is. He only knows that David is somewhere in that wilderness area. He attends to his needs. He's taking care of business. And I think you get the point. And as he's doing that, he hangs up his robe. And all of a sudden, the men realize that this is Saul. He's walked right into to our cave and right into our hands. So in verse 4, the men are saying to David, and I'm sure in a whisper, this is the day that the Lord has given to you and, and said, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands that you may do to him what seems good to you. And so David arose at that time. And when you look at the outward circumstances of what has taken place here, you can see and, and you would think this got to be the blessing of the Lord. I mean, here the Lord has brought Saul right into the back pocket of David. Here is Saul. Doesn't he know that David is there? David can very easily lop his head off now that he's in that cave. And it would seem like to you and to me that he is justifiable in doing that. Because remember, Saul has thrown a spear at David trying to kill him not once but three times. And I don't think that the Bible ever teaches us that as Christians that we can't defend ourselves. I don't think the Bible teaches us that we're just to be a doormat for everybody to walk on and take advantage of. But the Bible does teach this, that we're to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and that we are to go the extra mile and that we are to turn the other cheek and that we are to love our enemies. And those are things that we don't always like to think about. And I think in times like this, where the outward circumstances, David would have been justifiable in, in going and just finishing this. And I'm sure that the men that are with David, this has been going on for a number of years now. And David has been pursued by Saul, just like uh, you know, a pack of dogs going after a fox or something like that. And David having to go here and there and not being able to go home to his wife, Micah, not being able to, to go home to see his family. His family, as we have seen, is off in Moab on the other side of the valley there because their lives are threatened. And so David here, it seems like he can put an end to this. But here's the thing. And oftentimes when we face circumstances that we think the outward circumstances, it must be a blessing from you. The door must be open for me to, to finish this or to go in that direction or make this decision. But here's where we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And rather than this being a, a blessing, an obvious blessing for David, it becomes a testing for him. And you see, oftentimes in our lives, when we're faced with circumstances, that we can look at the outward uh, circumstances of what's taken place. But is it a blessing? Is the Lord telling us, here, I'm, I'm putting this situation here, and I'm obviously working? Or is it a testing for us to see if we're going to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord? And I think that verse 5, as we read verse 5, is a real key. Now, it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. 
Now, when he went over to cut Saul's robe, it wasn't that he just cut off a corner of the robe. Saul's robe, that he would, you know, have that robe, and it would have certain things on it to show that he is the king, that he's royalty. Uh, There would be certain threads. There would be certain um, things that we'd have on that robe. And when David went over and cut the edge of his robe, he, he was, in a sense, showing disrespect to Saul. In a sense, what he was saying is, is that I'm giving a message to you, Saul, before I kill you, that I'm taking the kingdom away from you. And as David cut the edge of his robe, all of a sudden his heart was troubled. And that's a real key for you and for me in our own lives. There are times where we face situations and we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. David is a man who has a heart after God, doesn't he? He is a man that is sensitive to the leading of the Lord. He desires to please the Lord. And so here is David. He's troubled in his heart. And you and I, there are times where we feel like, oh, this is a blessing, Lord. I I can move forward in this area, but our hearts end up being troubled. And that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I've mentioned this to you before, but it comes to play a part in my life constantly. And where Paul would write in Colossians chapter 3 that let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That's what he was praying for the Christians. And in my life, when I see a circumstance, when I start my day, when, when I have decisions to make, I want the peace of God ruling in my heart. And if the peace of God isn't ruling, and that word ruling in Colossians chapter 3 literally means to make the call. Let the Lord make the call. And if I don't have a peace about it, then I'm not going to move forward in it. Today, I was making a decision about my schedule and, and whether I should, you know, go to a conference or not. And, and it seemed like the outward circumstances were really working, and I was thinking, yeah, I should go, and I really want to go. But there wasn't a piece about it, just the timing of it, and how would it affect my family and, and other situations. So I knew that the Lord was telling me, you're going to stay home, and that's okay, and that's okay to, to be able to come to that conclusion because the peace of God wasn't really ruling in my heart in the decision that I was making. And it's true for you and for me as we are sensitive to the leading of the Lord. Is the Lord giving you that peace? Is he speaking to you in that still small voice? Is it, you know, the word of God giving you instructions as you search the word of God? And David, he was troubled in his heart because God was convicting him. So it was a time of testing for David as Saul came into that cave in verse 6. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. So David, he goes back to his men and he says, I can't do this. My heart is troubled. I can't raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And he restrained his servants from rising up. Because you can imagine his servants were thinking, okay, David, if you're not going to lop his head off, we're going to go over there and lop his head off because we're tired of this. And this is obvious, the Lord working. But David is really showing signs of a great leader here. And what he is doing to the men that are under him, he is restraining them, he is teaching them, he is sharing with them what God has put on his heart. And that is something that we need to do as leaders, whether you're leading your home, mom and dads, whether you're leading a small group, you're ministering to 
to a certain group of people, me as a pastor, I want to be able to share my heart and to be able to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and then be able to give that to the people that I minister to and to be able to bless them in that way. So parents, be sure to talk to your kids. You know, I've made this decision. We're going to go in this direction. This is what the Lord has put on our hearts. And talk to them and explain to them about those things. And I need to do the same thing to my family and as a pastor of this church. So David restrained his servants. He said, listen, no, we're not going to rise up, and you're not going to go and kill Saul. That's not what the Lord wants. We're going to let the Lord take care of this. And I know that as parents, dads and moms, and as you are talking to your kids, there are times where you say, you know what, our family, we're not going to get involved in these things. We're not going to go that direction. We're, we're, we're not going to participate in this or whatever it might be even though everybody else may want to or getting involved in those things you and i that as we are sensitive to leading the lord that as we are called to lead others that we minister to that we would help in restraining and, and ministering to them in a way that david here showing leadership just as you and i are to do it in that way and expressing the things of the lord to them so David arose afterwards and went out of the cave and called out to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. David is just simply showing respect and bowing down once again, and he begins to speak to Saul. In verse 9, David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. And moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt to take, or to hunt my life to take it. And let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. What is David saying to Saul? He calls out to Saul, and I think Saul was surprised. I think Saul at this time was trembling. As David there in his hand, as the corner of Saul's robe, do you realize, Saul, David is saying, that the Lord delivered you into my hand, but I would not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And he is telling them and he is showing him that, you know what, I respect the position you're in. I know that the Lord has put you in that position and the Lord's going to take you out of that position. May the Lord judge between you and me. I haven't done any evil against you. Why do you seek me? So David here is desiring to talk to Saul in a very godly way. He's showing godly patience and integrity. And he's desiring to do what is right. And in this testing, you see, David is, is learning something. And that is, I'm going to wait on you, Lord. And I'm going to wait on you to take care of this situation. The scripture says that the Lord tells you and I that vengeance is ice, saith the Lord. It belongs to me. And you know why the Lord says that? Because when we in our hearts say, I'm going to avenge myself, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to make up a plan and a plot. Then what happens is, is we go in the direction that we want to go. And a lot of times when we want to avenge, you know, somebody or get vengeance back at them, 
The, the Lord is saying, let me take care of it. And David is learning that the Lord is going to be the one that's going to take Saul out of this position. He puts Saul in this position. He's going to take him out of this position. You know, I think that the Lord oftentimes says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, because what he's saying to you and to me is, don't you mess with it because you can't handle it. Because what happens is the anger and, and the, the malice builds up and the fleshly you know, planning and plotting comes along with it. And there are times where the Lord wants you and I just to wait on Him and for Him to take care of the situation. And it's real discerning. We need to be discerning in those times. It takes discernment. There are times where I find myself in a situation where you know, I feel like the Lord is telling me you need to take care of this situation right now. And there are other times where I feel like when it involves somebody else that the Lord is saying, you need to just leave it in my hands. You need to trust in me. Let me take care of that individual in this situation. And in those times, I have to learn to wait on the Lord. But here David, he's trusting in God, and he's saying here that I know that God's going to judge between you and me, Saul. And we see that Saul begins to, um, well, David continues in verse 13, as the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A, a dead dog, a, a flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. I, I, if I was really wicked, he's saying to Saul, I would have acted wickedly towards you. But I haven't. So I'm going to let the Lord take care of this. And if he wants to get you out as king and put me in, then that's what's going to take place. And I'm going to let the Lord take care of that. In verse 16, it's Saul that's going to respond. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Verse 20, And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Now as you read Saul's response here, it seems like that Saul is really sorry, isn't he? He says the right words. He says, David, you've done good towards me. I've, I've rewarded you with evil. And you've dealt with me in a way that is really so unusual because what is, who is one that would just allow his enemy to go away when the Lord delivered me into your hand? You didn't kill me, David. And so you let me go in safety. And so may the Lord just reward you with good and i know indeed that you shall have the kingdom and it's going to be established and you're going to be king someday so remember my family don't do away with my family don't kill off my family when you become the king so he's saying all the right things isn't he but does he really mean it 
Because we have seen Saul, that he has been a man ever since we've seen in, the, in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, that he can say the right things. He can talk a good spiritual talk, but he doesn't really mean it because his actions doesn't show it. And 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 is a good verse for us to know and to understand and to memorize. And in that verse, as Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, he says that it is godly sorrow that leads to repentance that will lead to salvation, not to be regretted. So godly sorrow is one where there is true repentance, godly repentance that takes place. And it will lead to salvation, not to be regretted. But worldly sorrow produces death. You see, there's a difference between true godly sorrow and repentance that leads to life, not to be regretted, and just worldly sorrow. And I have known people that they're sorry for what they got caught doing or the circumstances that they're going through, but there's really no true repentance that are in their hearts. Now, God is the only one that knows if, if Saul here really means this. But David, he knows from Saul's track record that i got to keep moving, and i got to keep hiding from Saul. And Saul talks a good spiritual talk here, but he probably really doesn't mean it. Did Saul really believe that David was going to take the kingdom, and, and his kingdom was going to, that is Saul, his time on the throne was going to come to an end? I think deep down inside, perhaps Saul did know that and realized that, but he's fighting against it. There's an important lesson for us here tonight. That sometimes we can hear the Word of God, and the Lord speaks to us, and He desires for us to, to do this thing or to obey Him in this manner, to, to trust in Him in this thing, to serve in this capacity and we kind of hear it, but we don't take heed to it. And my prayer for, and hope for all of us here at Calvary Chapel, that as we're hearing the voice of the Lord, and, and as we're growing in the word of the Lord, that we would be ones that I hear what it is that you say, Lord, and I need to take heed to it. And that it wouldn't just come into our minds and that's it, but it would be one that would be coming down into our hearts and really pierce our hearts and then that we would take heed to whatever it might mean for us. If there needs to be repentance, there would be true repentance. Maybe the Lord is dealing with you on a certain matter, maybe sin or compromise in your life, an attitude of your heart, that we wouldn't make excuses, we wouldn't just be sorry for the consequences that we're in, just talk a spiritual talk, but there would be true repentance. You know what the sign of true repentance is? It's by what you do. Are you going to be obedient to the Lord or aren't you going to be obedient to the Lord? You know, it was Judas that he talked a good spiritual talk. Judas is, we probably, you know, uh, during the time of Easter, many Christians, we know the story of how Judas betrayed Jesus and we talked about that a little bit last week. And Judas, when he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver afterwards, he went back to the priest and he said, I have... I have sinned against innocent blood, and he threw the silver back. And some people think that Judas really repented. I don't think that he did. I think he was sorry for the consequences that he was in. I think that his plan backfired, whatever it may have been. But Jesus said concerning Judas, it had been better that he had never been born. We know that Satan entered into Judas. And it was that worldly sorrow that led to death as he would end up hanging himself. 
May we hear the voice of the Lord. And may we be ones that we say, Lord, I hear you and help me to be obedient to you. And not just have worldly sorrow, but true repentance not to be regretted. And that's a real key in our lives, that as we obey what the Lord has to say, you are not going to regret it. That you will see that the Lord is going to bring blessing and he's going to bring joy and he's going to free you from whatever it is might have you in bondage, whatever it is that that is causing you to be fleshly or carnal, whatever it is that that the Lord is putting on your heart, you're going to see that God's going to bless you and strengthen you and work in a very wonderful way as you hear his voice. And I think Saul, he was here at this time, had a worldly sorrow, but didn't have godly sorrow that would lead to true repentance because he didn't show it in his life. So chapter 25, Samuel died and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So here is Samuel. He died. We've been talking about Samuel all through this book of 1 Samuel. He was the one as a boy raised in the tabernacle. He was the last judge of Israel. We know that the days of the judges, according to Acts chapter 13, lasted for a period of 450 years. And Samuel was one, as he came to the people, he said, Let God be witness. I have ministered to you in honesty. I've given you the word of the Lord. I've ministered to you and to the nation in, in great integrity and humility. I haven't taken from you. Samuel it was one, an example of truly a godly man. And he was one that was played a big part in leading the people out of the dark days of the judges because he went throughout Israel, as we read in this book in our previous studies, giving the word of the Lord. And as he spread the word of the Lord, it began to impact people, and the people finally repented and turned to the Lord. But Samuel, too, in his life also felt rejected because they came to Samuel and said, we don't want you and your sons ruling over us. We want a king ruling over us. We want to be like other nations. And it was the Lord that said to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And there are times in our lives where we are desiring to be that godly example. We're desiring to, to, to live our lives in godly integrity and character and given the word of the Lord. And there are going to be those that perhaps that we're even close to, family members or neighbors or people that work alongside of us. But certainly there are going to be those who are going to reject us and reject the message that we are given to them. But what we are to do is continue to minister in godly integrity, giving them the word of the Lord. You keep praying for those people. And that's what Samuel did. A godly example for you and for me. And the people lamented when he ended up dying. They realized that Samuel was one that really had blessed the nation, was beneficial to the people because he was a godly man that ministered in a godly way. When it comes to the end of my life, I want people to be able to say, you know, Pastor Jeff, he taught the truth of God's word and he loved the Lord. I want very desperately for people to be able to say that they ministered in real integrity and honesty and he was sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And I know that I'm growing. But that's what I want to be known for. Not how big my church was or how popular the radio program was or any of those things. But was I a man that I loved the Lord and desired to minister the truth of the Lord to others, even though we will all experience those who will reject us or laugh at us or come down on us? You continue to do that. 
And that's what Samuel did. So his life ended, and David arose and went to the wilderness of Paran. That's to the south of the Dead Sea, in that area that's very hot and dry. In verse 2, now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was sharing his sheep in Carmel. Now you may be thinking, Carmel, uh, that's up north. Uh, that's where uh, it was Samuel, or not Samuel, but Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15 made a monument for himself after he went to war against the Amalekites. It's where later on that Elijah up there in Mount Carmel in the northern part of the country uh, would call down fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice of the wood of the sacrifice as he gave that um, challenge there to the prophets of Baal. And great victory for Elijah, the fiery prophet of the Old Testament. So it's not that Mount Carmel. This is another Carmel. This is a Carmel down in the desert. And so here is this man that Nabal, verse 3 was his name, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doing. He was of the house of Caleb. So here is this man. He's very rich. He has a lot of sheep and, and goats and animals. That's how they would measure somebody's wealth back in the ancient times here. And his name is Nabal. Now, his name literally means fool. And what we're going to see here is this man is a fool. He's a scoundrel. He's a very mean individual. He has a wife, Abigail, that has good understanding. She's beautiful in appearance. More importantly, she's a beautiful, godly woman that we're going to see. And he, Nabal, is a descendant of the house of Caleb. Now, you remember Caleb? as we've gone through the Old Testament. Caleb, he was one of the two spies that we read about in Numbers chapter 13. In the second year of the Exodus, after the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai, they received the law of God. They completed the tabernacle and the furnishings. They had the priests all ready to go. They were ready as a nation to go into the promised land. So the Lord told Moses, go up to Kadesh Barnea there to the border of the promised land, and you're going to go into the promised land in the second year of their exodus. So as they did that, it was Moses that sent 40, or not 40, but 12 spies into the promised land for 40 days. Two of those spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, it's a great land. There's all these grapes, and, and it's wonderful. Let's go take the land. God has given us this land just as he promised. But the other ten spies began to murmur and complain. They said there's a problem, and that is there's Amalekites, giants in the land, and there's huge cities and fortified walls, and we're but grasshoppers in their sights. And so the people of Israel would not go into the promised land. They murmured, they complained, they said, let's go back to Egypt. And the Lord said, you're going to spend 40 years out here in the wilderness. So after those 40 years, when Joshua would lead the children of Israel into the promised land, it was finally Caleb that said that God has given me that inheritance down in the south, that mountain that belongs to the Amalekites, the giants, and I'm going to go after them. So Joshua said, go for it. So that was the inheritance that Caleb you know, received. He was a man of great faith, a man that wasn't afraid of the giants and took them on and defeated them, as we read there in the book of Joshua. So here is one of the descendants of Caleb. He's in that area. He's wealthy. Uh, He is one, though, that is a fool, as we're going to see, as his name uh, says that he is. And so David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was sharing his sheep. And David sent 
10 young men. And David said to the young man, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him, Who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. And ask your young men, and they will tell you, Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young man came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words, the name of David, and they waited. So David says, listen, why don't you go down and talk to Nabal? He has all these sheep. He has all these goats. Here's David with 600 guys. They're hungry. They need some supplies. And while David was there, while his servants, Nabal's servants, were with the sheep and, and taking care of them and sharing them, we see that David provided protection for them. He said that I haven't taken anything. Tell Nabal this and his servants will confirm it. We didn't rob him. We didn't take advantage of his guys. We acted as a wall around them. We protected them from the enemy coming in and having raids against them or uh, coming against their servants and killing some of his servants. We provided a service for them and we haven't asked for anything. So it was customary that when you did that, that it would be the owner that would repay you somehow. So David is, is saying, why don't you go talk to Nabal and see and if he'll be able to give to us uh, from his prosperity. And so they waited. In verse 10, then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young man turned on their heels and went back, and I came and told him all these words. So they waited. Nabal comes out and says, Who's David? Why should I give to David? He, he doesn't mean anything to me. He's just, you know, a man that is in rebellion. He's a rebellious servant. In a way, what, really what Nabal was saying is David's just a bum. And he doesn't want to, you know, be Saul's servant. He doesn't, you know, mean anything to me. He's just out there hanging out, and he expects me to give to him. I'm not going to give to him and his servants. And these guys, verse 12, turned back on their heels. In other words, he was very harsh he was very blunt um, he was very mean he reviled them is what he did and they go back and they said david um nabal has a message for you he says who are you you're just a rebellious servant and you're a bum and and you mean nothing to him and he doesn't care about what you did for him so david verse 13 said to his men every man gird on his sword so every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Bad news for Nabal. David, you can just see his face. He just gets mad, and he says, that's it. Guys, get your swords ready. We're going to go out and take care of this. And you can imagine David at this point. He's frustrated. He's tired. He reacts out of the flesh. Remember what we just read in the previous chapter? David was desiring to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he was patient and he said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to let the Lord take care of this. And he acted very honorably and with integrity. But here we see Nabal, he gets very angry when he gets this answer. And he says, come on, guys, get your swords. Two of you stay behind. We're going to go after him. We're going to take what is ours. And David is reacting out of the flesh here. 
And so oftentimes what can happen in our lives, we can have a great spiritual victory where, you know what, the Lord is working. And sometimes we can think, was that me? Was I waiting on the Lord? And, and, and we know that the Lord was working and it was a time of testing and, and we learn and we grew. And then all of a sudden the next day another test comes up and we just react out of the flesh. There's just something about that. And I think what it is is we're all still growing, aren't we? I know that I'm still growing. And there are times where I feel like I, I go through testing and the Lord's working and, and I'm thankful for that. And, and thank you, Lord, for giving me patience, for giving me understanding. But then the next day I'll just blow it. And I'll react out of the flash. And David is doing that at this time. And we read in verse 14 that one of the young men of Abigail, Nabal's wife, said, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, David's men, and, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. And they were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against your master and against all of his household, for he is such a scoundrel that no one can speak to him. We're in big trouble, Abigail. David's going to come after us. And he was good to us. It was true. And Abigail, you, you do something because Nabal, he's a scoundrel. He's a fool. And no one can speak to him. He won't listen to anybody. In verse 18, Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sheas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me, see, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down towards her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. And so here is, is David. He, he's explaining his situation. And then Abigail, verse 23 when she saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and David bowed down to the ground. And so she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel, Nabal, for as his name is, so he is, Nabal, is his name, and folly is with him. But I your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now let then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. In verse 27, And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And 
and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Abigail, this very wonderful, godly woman, we learn from her. I think there's four things that we learn from her very quickly. Number one, her loyalty. She knew that her husband was a fool and that David could easily kill him. And she's loyal to her husband. She comes, she does something about it. And she comes to David and she says, I know that Nabal, my husband, is a fool. He acted foolishly. But she's loyal at this time. And she knew that if she didn't do something, that her husband would be killed, but also many of the servants would be killed as well. What I pray for us is that we would learn from her about loyalty, that you would be loyal to your spouse, that we would be loyal to brothers and sisters. We wouldn't just forget about them. We wouldn't desert them, but there would be some sense of loyalty. We, we know so little of that today because it's not really something that's valued. And she could have easily have said, you know what, this is good. David's going to take care of my husband. I don't have to deal with this fool any longer. But she shows true loyalty. Second of all, what we learn is her service. She worked hard to bring these supplies to David and his men to appease them. And I know that one of the ways that you can really minister to others and, and get their attention where people will respond to you, you know how you do that? You don't try to rule over them. You don't try to step all over them. But what you do is you serve them. You serve them. And you love them. And that's what Abigail's doing. She's serving here, these men, and David. And she's a woman that worked hard in doing this. And David responded to her. Thirdly, we see verse 28, humility. No, she said, forgive my iniquity. She didn't say, yeah, you know what? My husband is a fool and it's all his fault and you know, he's all to blame. She links herself to Nabal and, and the situation here. She said, forgive my iniquity. I, I should have met your guys. I should have been there. But she links herself to her husband. You see, that's real true Christian maturity. And I see that with, with those who are used of the Lord. There's a linkage to the people they minister to and the people that they love very much. Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, when he was praying for the people, they were towards the end of their 70 years of captivity. And he's praying, Daniel, a man of godly integrity, no sin really recorded of, of Daniel at all. He was one used of the Lord. We see such purity in his life, but yet when he prayed, he said, Lord, we have sinned. He linked himself to the people of God. And that shows me something, because I can look at the church at large today, and I can say, well, Christians are this way, and American Christianity is so selfish and self-centered. But as I realize that there's a linkage, oh, Lord, help us, because we're all linked to the body of Christ. Lord, help us to, to turn away from from our sins, to, to press in and, and turn to you, to repent. If my people who are called by my name turn from their wicked ways, if we, and we link ourselves to the body of Christ, we hurt for the body of Christ. Not everybody else is out to lunch, and I'm the only one that's really, you know, doing well, or so many, you know, Christians are just flakies and, and 
you know, they don't, I'm so above everybody else, and if everybody was like me, everything would be a lot better. Daniel wasn't like that. Samuel wasn't that way. He identified himself with God's people, and Abigail wasn't that way. So her humility, and then fourthly, wisdom, godly wisdom, and reminding David that God is with you. He's chosen you, David. And you're doing the Lord's work, verse 28, and you're doing it in a godly way. And then in verse 29, she said something very interesting. He said, she said, he will sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And I think that really resonated in David's mind. It will remind him of who? Goliath. And just as David was able to defeat Goliath with that sling, that she's saying, David, that God's going to deal with your enemies with the sling, the sling of the a pocket of a sling, and, and he's going to have you be the king. You can trust in him. And David needed to be reminded of these things. And so we see that verse 32, David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. She re- he receives her wisdom. And verse 33 is a key. He said, Avenging myself with my own hand. He admits he realizes that I was trying to avenge this situation and against Nabal by my own hands, my own doing. But blessed are you because you gave me godly understanding, truly a woman of godly understanding as we see here. So verse 36, Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house like a feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning that when wine had gone from Nabal, that his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. So he has a feast. He's drinking. When he sobers up the next day, Abigail comes and says, Nabal, by the way, fool, David was going to come and kill you. And he freaks out, and he has a stroke or a heart attack, and, and he goes down. And verse 38, did it happen after 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded my cause to my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on the donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took Anohem of Jezreel, so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Paltai, the son of um, Laish, who was from Galam. So here the Lord struck Nabal, and when that happened, we see that David would take Abigail as his wife. I want to leave you with this thought, and then we're, we're going to be done. For those of you who are close to, have relationship with the Nabals of, of the world, I want to encourage you that you be like Abigail, that you do what is right in the sight of the Lord, and that's what she did. 
She did what was right, even though her husband was a scoundrel, even though he was a fool. She was loyal. She was a servant. She had humility, and she had godly wisdom. And she did what was right inside the Lord. And when you find yourself, you're linked to the navels of life, whether it's a spouse or a co-worker, children, whatever it might be, in your frustration, you make sure that you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And you make sure that you honor the Lord in your relationship to others. And know that God's going to take care of you and he's going to honor that. And he took care of this situation. And she ended up marrying the king of Israel. And know that you belong to the son of David, Jesus Christ. And you're married to him. And so you do what is right when you face the navels of your life. You act in a righteous way. And that's what we're learning as we go through 1 Samuel. That people will pursue you, come after you, be nasty to you, whatever it might be. But you wait on the Lord and you let Him determine how it is that you're going to react in the situation and leading you and guiding you and giving you wisdom in the circumstances you find yourself in. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for... Lord, just the opportunity to once again study your word. And Lord, as we have learned these things, I pray that the things that have touched our hearts tonight, that we would reflect on them. And Lord, just um, allow you to minister more deeply these things to us. And Father, if there are things that we realize that I've been behaving wrongly or my attitude has been wrong, whatever, that we wouldn't just have godly our worldly sorrow, but Lord, there would be true repentance, godly sorrow, not to be regretted. Father, how we know that you desire to bless us, just as Abigail acted rightly, and David said, blessed are you, that you say the same thing to us, the bride of Christ, to us, your children, that as we act in a way that honors you and in obedience to you, that there is blessing in that. And we can trust in you because we can trust you with our salvation. We know that we can trust you with our own lives. So, Father, continue to minister to us as we just, Lord, continue to worship for a few minutes. And it's in Jesus' name that we...